All right, so we are finally in Revelation 15. It's been quite a while since we've been in the book of Revelation. Uh, last time we met, we did a topical study on the Davidic covenant, and that will tie into tonight's, uh, tonight's lesson in uh, Revelation 15. We're beginning the last stages of God's judgment on this earth. So this lesson is called Concluding Judgment. And we start with our prelude to the end, uh, which is again a heavenly scene. We've seen a few heavenly scenes beginning judgments. So we'll do a little bit of a review of what we've seen up until now. Uh, we'll look at the first part in three bits. It's setting in heaven, the sign that's seen in heaven, and then the sea of glass. So here is a little outline of Revelation. You can see it's primarily a chronological book. We've got a few places where it steps outside of the chronology to give a little background information. Um, and we've got two main locations. We've got the location in heaven and the location on earth. So sometimes things that are explained in heaven are happening at the same time as things that are later explained on earth or vice versa. So you remember all the way back at the beginning of our study, um, how I beat into your minds that this is in three parts and that that outline is given to us directly from the text, that John was given the revelation of the things that were, the things that are, and the things that are coming after his time. Um, so those first two parts were Revelations chapter one through three, the things that were and the things that are. We saw John in Patmos and we saw Jesus Christ uh, bringing a vision to him. And then we saw the seven churches in Asia Minor in chapters two and three. Then we got a heavenly scene in chapters four and five. And that does take place after John's time. And in fact, it's still future to our time. Chapter four has not yet begun. It takes place uh, uh, after the rapture of the church but before the judgments have begun on the earth. So there is a gap of time between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation. We're not told how long that is because the rapture itself is an undisclosed event. We're not told when that happens. But we do know that when the tribulation begins, it will last for seven years. So that's our solid line here in the middle. And it's in two parts, the first three and a half years and the second three and a half years called the Great Tribulation. So the first part was chapters six through 10, and we had a prelude of, or not a prelude, but an intermission of chapter seven that explained uh, how people were being saved during the tribulation. Uh, and this entire seven year period is taken up by what's called the seal judgments. Then the trumpet judgments are the last seal judgment, those we see in chapter 8 primarily, and also chapter 9. Then in chapters 11 through 12, we got an intermission, what happened at the middle of the tribulation, because that's really the densest time until the very end of the last three and a half years. So chapters 13 through 15, actually chapter 13 tells us what the last three and a half years will be like. And then chapter 14 and 15 first concludes that section of chapter 13, and then begins the final judgments. So we're in chapter 15 now, and we are towards the end of the tribulation period. 
we jumped very quickly from the middle to the end because that last three and a half years is taken up almost entirely by the uh, reign of the Antichrist on the earth who has come with great wrath, knowing that his time is short. His time is only three and a half years. So we're probably somewhere near the last week of the tribulation here, uh, immediately preceding the battle of Armageddon, which is going to happen uh, starting in chapter 16 and ending in chapter 19. That's all the battle of Armageddon. Then uh, we'll have Christ's return in chapter 19, chapter 20, the millennial kingdom, which we don't get much detail on in the book of Revelation. So we'll have to uh, go back to the Old Testament to fill that in. The reason we don't get much information in the book of Revelation is because there is so much information in the Old Testament that it would have been redundant to really belabor that point. But chapter 21 and 22 tells us of the eternal state uh, which is something that God has not revealed until the book of Revelation, uh, only uh, allusions to it, but here he actually details what happens after the Messianic kingdom, so we'll spend a bit of time there. Our goal is to finish before June. Uh, we want to do the text justice, but we don't want to uh, belinger this study too much longer, as uh, it will be good to finish within uh, 18 months, I guess arbitrary, but shorter time is a better time. Here is a breakdown then of the judgments, because these can be a bit confusing, and this is really the key to the chronology. Uh, these judgments are all numbered, showing their succession. They are in a sequence, and these judgments telescope. So it's not uh, seven judgments, and then seven more judgments, and then seven more judgments, but rather it's seven seal judgments in total, the final seal judgment is seven different trumpet judgments, and the same then for the seven trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet, trumpet judgment is seven bowl judgments. So here we have arrived at the seventh trumpet judgment, which is in seven parts that are all uh, made up of bowls. Now, I think all of these take place relatively quickly. The uh, first six seals are opened pretty rapidly in the very beginning of the tribulation, and the rest of the tribulation is the seventh seal. Towards the middle of the tribulation, we have six trumpets happen in quick succession, and then the last half of the tribulation is the seventh trumpet. And then these seven bowls are poured out at the end of the tribulation. So we've got three sets of judgments that open up new uh, new sequences of judgment during the tribulation period. Now, each of these sets of judgments are preceded by a celestial vision. John is in heaven, not on earth, watching what happens in heaven in preparation for these judgments. So the first one, we saw the preparation in chapters four and five, where they needed someone who was able or worthy to open the set the uh, seven seals, and it was one from the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the branch of David, who was found worthy to open it because he was the lamb that was slain. And then in chapter eight, verses one through six, we see the prelude to the trumpet judgments. Again, it is a heavenly scene where one of the angels takes coals from the altar and mixes it with the prayers of the saints and casts it down to the earth. 
And finally, now we have the last celestial prelude to the bowl judgments, and that is our study for tonight. <clears throat> the last thing I want to point out about our setting is that we have uh, a connection here between Revelation 11, the end of that chapter, and the beginning of Revelation chapter 15. We can look at chapters 12, 13, and 14 all as an intermission. Um, it is the middle of the tribulation extending towards the end, but the action of 1119 is the same action as takes place in chapter 15. So here in 1119, it says the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. This jumps forward to the excuse me, to the end of the tribulation period where verse uh, 18 was still part of uh, the events prior to the midpoint of the tribulation. So this is a proleptic passage. It jumps forward. All right. So now we get to see what this sign in heaven is in chapter 15. So chapter 15, verse 1 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. So these are, again, the last set of plagues, and God's wrath will be finished. This is the end of the tribulation period, and I do think that this is um, chronologically the end, but also very near the end uh, in time as well, probably the last week or so. And this is also the third sign that we see in heaven. So back in Revelation chapter 12, we saw a great sign appeared in heaven, and that was a woman clothed in the sun, which we identified as Israel. And then in verse 3 of chapter 12, we saw another sign appeared in heaven, and it was a great red dragon who the text identifies as Satan. So here we have yet again another sign in heaven, and this is alos sign, meaning another of the same kind, and here it is great and marvelous. There are seven angels who had seven plagues. <clears throat> These seven angels appear elsewhere in the um, text of Revelation as well. Um, I did include in our lesson page on my website a document that breaks down all the different angels in Revelation. Uh, it breaks it down first in numbered sets, those who appear in sevens, twelves, fours, and threes, um, and also then the individuals with specified tasks or uh, authority, and then in unnumbered sets of angels as well that just speak of an innumerable crowd. Um, so you can take a look at those on your own time, but these seven angels, unlike the angels who have the uh, trumpet judgments do appear again in the text. So we're not going to necessarily leave these ones behind where we do leave the others behind. These will continue to be characters throughout the rest of the book, even into the eternal state after the millennial kingdom. John is able to identify these as the same angels. So in chapter 21, after the millennial kingdom, uh, one of these angels from this set of seven is going to show John uh, the bride of the lamb coming out of heaven. Um, so we want to remember this set of angels. They seem to be important. Um, so we don't want to leave them behind 
<clears throat> Another thing I'd like to point out from the text is that this wrath of God that is spoken of here is different from the wrath that we previously saw. The normal word for wrath is orge, which means um, anger or wrath, but it has more to do with a mood or a disposition. Um, the idea having to do with punishment, um, you could say even judicial punishment, it's calculated and it's um, a bit of a rote uh, action or emotion where it has to do with judicial anger, righteousness, whereas this thumas, which is what's used in this text, has to do with rage and indignation. Uh, this touches the soul, not just the disposition. Um, it is an outburst of anger, a frenzy, or a fierce passion. So we see that God is not only acting justly and, uh, and in punishment, but he is also uh, affected personally. He is angry at the unrighteousness of this earth, and his righteous anger is justified. So we can see an example of this orge, the more, uh, you could almost say the more tamed version of his wrath. From Revelation 6, it says, they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. This is a judicial wrath. This is the pouring out of a just punishment on the earth. Whereas Thumas, is used uh, for the first time in Revelation in chapter 12, and it's actually used of the wrath of Satan. It says the first, or for this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, Thumas, knowing that his time, or that he has only a short time. So we can think of that wrath that Satan comes down with where it's not a judicial wrath, it's an uncalculated wrath uh, in the, uh, for Satan, but it has to do with his passion. His time is growing short, and he's in a rage. Well, God's wrath is both uh, orge and thumas. It is a calculated wrath, but it is also passionate. So in Revelation 16, which, we're gonna, which we are going to do in two weeks, uh, this is at the end of the set of bold judgments, we see that his wrath is both thumas and orges. So it says a great, the great city was split into three parts and the city of the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. So his fierce wrath is to thumu tes orges, which is his passionate calculated wrath. All right, and the last bit of this prelude in verse one, actually here we're moving into verse two, is a return to the sea of glass before the throne of God, but something's different about it this time we see it. So in verse two, it says, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. So we remember that uh, those who were victorious over the beast and his image and his number uh, had to persevere uh, against these different uh, impositions put upon them by the government of the Antichrist, that they were made to worship the beast and they were made to direct their worship towards an image. 
And the worship of this image was in conjunction with taking his mark, which is the number of his name, which the text identifies as 666. We don't know exactly how that will identify him, but we do take that as a literal number 666 that will be printed either on the hand or on the forehead, and it'll be an external mark. But this sea of glass mixed with fire, we've seen it before, but we haven't yet seen it mixed with fire. That's something new in this scene. So in Revelation 4, 6, we have before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. So here's a, what I think is an excellent artist rendering of this scene. And you can see they're standing on what looks like a crystal floor. Uh, but then we add to it that it's mixed with fire. So this sea of glass is around the throne of God. But in this scene, we're going to see that um, these angels that have the, uh, these bowls of wrath are going to come out of the temple of God. So somewhere in the throne room of God is also the temple of God. These might be the same thing. Um, that's why I've positioned this picture very artist artistically right over the throne of God. Uh, but the throne of God and his temple are often synonymous. There's also a possible correlation here with the previous chapter in chapter 14. You'll remember that uh, until about 1550, 1555, AD, there were no chapter divisions and no uh, numbered verses. They were just long scrolls. So here in chapter 14, this would have been a verse that happened right before what we're seeing in chapter 15. In fact, if you have your Bible open, uh, it's probably on the same page, if not in the same, uh, within a few inches of chapter 15. Here, Revelation 14, verses 17 to 18 says, Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So we have the temple in heaven and an angel who has power over fire, and now we have the sea of glass before the throne and before the temple mixed with fire. So I think there is some possible connection here, but this angel um, has to do with the wrath of God, that calculated wrath of God coming out of the temple onto the earth. So we know at least that this sea of glass before the throne is mixed with blood um, out of the wrath of God that he is bringing justice on the earth. Now, it also said that these were victorious. I think this has two meanings because they were victorious both by faith and they were also victorious through perseverance. They also did persevere against the Antichrist um, and his image and his mark. But in Romans 5, 1 through 2, we see that our justification comes by faith and by faith alone. So it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So where we have a hope of glory with God, 
having even now peace with him, the world is heading towards God's wrath because they have not had faith in him. That is the only thing that can save us from his wrath. In Romans 5, 3 to 5, a few verses later, it says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So again, while we have God's love and God's peace and God's hope, poured out into us by means of the Holy Spirit, the earth is about to have God's judgment poured out on it because of its lack of faith. And we see that we also have the ability to exalt in our tribulations when we have our mind set on our position in him and that we as the church do not undergo his judgment. Uh, we know that the tribulations that we undergo in this physical world, in our experience, um, does not change our position in him, that we are, we have our salvation settled in him, that it was paid for once for all and attained through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we have hope that does not disappoint, whereas the rest of the world is hopeless. <clears throat> and then finally, we see our basis for victory here in Romans 5. It says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know that Christ does love sinners, but they have to uh, come to him in faith in order to be saved. So much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. All right, so as I said before, these uh, believers in the tribulation period not only overcome by means of the blood, but they also overcome by means of the blood, uh, or they, they not only overcome by faith, but they also overcome by perseverance. It's all on the basis of his blood that they're able to overcome. Um, but here in Revelation 12, 10 through 11, we read, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Now in the Greek, these first two are connected by this same word, because, which is a hati in uh, Greek, so that this is really the same idea, and it's given to us um, on it. You could say it's two sides of the same coin. It's the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Now, this isn't their confession, but this is the content of what is confessed. It's not the words that come out of their mouth, but the testimony that they've believed. Um, so that is the gospel, and the gospel is on the basis of the blood of the lamb. The addition to this comes in the next phrase, that and they did not love their life even when faced with death. So they overcame because of the blood and because of the gospel, which is on the basis of the blood. And more than just simply overcoming by faith, they also overcame by faith and perseverance. So they did not love their life even when faced with death. 
this builds rewards in heaven, even for those uh, in the tribulation period. Rewards in heaven is not just for the church. It's for the Old Testament saints, and it's for the tribulation saints as well. So as for that, uh, the word of testimony and uh, overcoming on the basis of faith, we have this excellent passage from John. And remember, John is also the author of Revelation. So in interpreting what he means by his words, we have to use his words to interpret. So in 1 John 5, verses 4 to 5, we see whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, and that is our faith. So that is why I've interpreted it as such. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. <clears throat> and then as for the testimony, it says the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. So that is the testimony, belief in the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is his Son. Now, one verse earlier in 1 John 5, 9, it says that the testimony of God is better than the testimony of man. So again, this is not simply a confession of the mouth, but this is a confession of the heart, one that is born of faith in the message, uh, which is the gospel, Jesus Christ, who died, was buried, and rose again. <clears throat> All right, so at the very end of this verse, let me go back to it here, so we can remember what was said. It said that the that these who were victorious were standing on that sea of glass and they were holding harps of God. Now we're going to see why they were holding harps of God mostly in the next section when we hear the songs that they sing. But before we look at those songs, we want to remember uh, that the, this song that we're about to read is not the first song that um, has been sung in heaven. And it's not the first song sung in heaven accompanied by harps either. So in Revelation 5, verses 8 through 9, we saw the 24 elders, who we identify as the church saints, playing harps uh, before they sing a new song uh, before the Lamb's wrath and his victory. So we see that all these judgments began with the church saints playing harps and singing a new song before the Lord. In Revelation 14, 2 through 3, we saw a different group. <clears throat> the 144,000 Jews uh, in the tribulation period who are martyred, we see them accompanied by a harp-like voice singing a new song which only they can know. Now here's our third uh, harp-accompanied song, and it's our last harp-accompanied song in Revelation, and it's only a few verses after Revelation 14, and here it is the tribulation martyrs who play the harp before uh, before singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. So we have three different groups. Uh, these last two groups we have uh, distinguished for us in uh, Revelation chapter 7, where we had the 144,000, and then we had the innumerable martyrs from the tribulation in the second part of that chapter. These are those two different groups, the first in chapter 14 and the second in chapter 15. And they are singing these songs of Moses. 
Now in chapter 15, this seems to be particularly uh, concerned with the people of Israel. And we'll see that based on the songs which are sung. Now, before I move on to the next verses, um, I'm going to ask if anyone has any questions. I'm putting y'all on the spot. No questions so far? All right. Let's move on to the songs in heaven. And they're going to sing at least two songs in heaven. Hey, Dane, sorry, we didn't have a, our microphone on. I wanted to ask you a quick question. Yeah, go for it. Um, what uh, designates or how do they come about? Um, how do we understand that those 12 are church saints? The uh, 24 elders? Yeah. Uh, it mostly has to do with the immediate context, uh, their garments being similar to those who had just been uh, told to us in chapters two and three that those who are part of the church would be dressed in white. They would be victorious. It has to do with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, 1 Peter 3 as well, um, some verses in 2 Timothy that tell us that as Christians we'll receive crowns. Um, so we know that they're not angels because angels don't receive crowns. Uh, these are crowns of victory, and our victory is in the Lord. So being that the church is the only one uh, described in the same way as these 24 elders are described, um, we have to identify them as the church saints because it doesn't really fit anything else. It doesn't fit uh, Jewish believers from the Old Testament. doesn't fit angels. Um, there's a few, other, uh, a few other identifications that people make. We actually have two videos already recorded on this. Um, so okay. I can give you a link to that where we go through in, in detail. Um, what different evidences point us towards identifying these as church saints. But uh, I think it is an important um, identification to make because yeah. they do appear multiple times throughout the text. And it also, I think, is encouraging when we do identify these appropriately to see that we as the church will already be seated on thrones around the throne of God at the time that this judgment takes place. Uh, so we do want to make sure that we are accurate in judging those to be the church saints, but uh, it also can be a uh, an encouragement to us knowing that the wrath of God, or that we are saved from the wrath of God. And we could go back here, just a few slides. Oops, not that one. To Romans uh, 5, 9 through 10. And... Uh, that tells us that much more than having now been justified by his blood, because right now uh, we as church saints are justified by his blood, will also be saved from the wrath of God through him. We know that we as church saint believers are not destined for wrath. In fact, no one at the beginning of the tribulation will be a believer, but through the influence of the two witnesses, 144,000 Jewish believers will be converted uh, to Christianity or to Christ. Uh, faith in the Messiah, and through the witness of those 144,000 believers will come what is probably the greatest revival this earth has ever seen. And we know that the oppressed church grows like crazy, and it will be an oppressed uh, body of Christ or body of God, peoples of God during the uh, tribulation period. So it will grow like wildfire under the persecution of the Antichrist. 
<clears throat> so I'll send you a link um, okay. to that specific video. And I'll also tag that in this video when I put it on YouTube. Okay, thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you.